This is the Grand Tapestry Podcast, brought to you by My Family Channel. Each one of our elders' stories is a unique thread in the Grand Tapestry of American history. In this podcast, we will explore them one by one, to honor them, and to gain perspective through their experience. Hello, and welcome to the Grand Tapestry Podcast. This is Todd Smith. Welcome to Episode 8 with... Miss Lois Durham at Magnolia Springs, East Louisville in Louisville, Kentucky. Hello, Miss Lois. How are you today? I am fine. Thank you. Good. Well, this is an opportunity for us to learn about your life experiences and for you to pass on some of your lessons learned and experience gained so that our younger people and future generations might benefit from from your experience. So even if it seems like no big deal to you, it probably is a big deal to them. So we are here to capture some stories. Oh, they'll be good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they will. Let's just kind of do some basics first. If you want to tell us about when you were born and where you were born. I was born in a hospital in Hahnemann Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, August 26, 1927. Can't tell you the time and nobody really cares. (laughs) And I guess I'm probably known as more or less, I guess I never thought about it, but with all these people around here that have lived on farms or had grandparents on farms, I guess I'm just a city slicker. I don't know anything about farms, didn't have any parents on farms or anything else. So you weren't milking cows and... No, I didn't do anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) Did you grow up in Philly? I No, well, see, you say Philly. Philly. I don't like Philly. Oh, okay. (laughs) Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I did not grow up. I lived in a suburb, probably about 22 miles out of the city. Grew up in a, a small area. I don't really know how what the population was. But I went to school. We had to go come home for lunch and then go back afterwards. We had no lunchroom. And we walked, and I thought it was a mile to the school. But uh, about 15 years ago, we took a little tour of the old neighborhood. So I said to my son, Let's clock it and see how far I really walk, because I thought I walked a mile. It was only a third of a mile. Oh, really? But it seemed, looking back on it, I thought it was be a mile. But back and forth, back and forth in all kind of weather. We had no school buses or anything. Mm. That still seems like a long Well, it was walk. it was long, yeah. But What was your school like? Well, it was, I don't know, it was very nice. We had uh, my big thing that I remember from kindergarten was we made butter. <laughs> that was exciting to me. I came home, told my mother, we made butter. We churned, and that was my big thing. We had um, all-female teachers except the one, the Mr. Schellenberger. How I can remember his name, I don't know. But he was the gym teacher, and he was really, really nice. I enjoyed school. I can remember my first grade teacher, and she was a lovely lady. But I think the one thing that stands out in my first grade, now the kids going to school know how to write their print their name and everything. Back then, we never had preschool or anything, so you had to learn to write your name. Well, I had a very, very short name, Lois Free, F-R-E-E. You can't get much smaller than that. Mm. 
but my girl that sat next to me had an awful time with her name. Her name was Jacqueline Tattersall. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it took her the whole time to learn to write her name or print her name. It was just so long. That wasn't fair. That's a long name. But anyway, I enjoyed grade school. I was not very good. That's why I don't enjoy any of the uh, modern conveniences with uh, digitals and all this kind of stuff. I was very bad in math. I have never changed. That's the only subject I ever failed in. But I can remember in fourth grade, I could not go to lunch because my lunch period, I had to learn if Susie had five cents and her apples cost one, how many could she get? Those kind. And they oh. were, even in those days, the printed picture on that cover of the magazine or the book that we were reading, they were old fashioned. They people had button hook shoes and all that kind of stuff. But I just couldn't get math. I hmm. just, it's never. Never one of the things. Well, I like to count, but I don't know anything about math. Well, but see, now now we know that there are different types of intelligence. And, you know, <laughs> and there's... I'm low on that. <laughs> well, everyone ha is stronger in, in yeah. certain things. Yeah. And, you know, you have right brain and you have left brain. And now we know that the left brain, people who are stronger in left brain stuff are good at math. And they're good at, you know, logic and reason and things like that, technical things. And the right brain is more sort of creative and, you know, the arts and the humanities and writing and things like that. Were you more of a right brain person? I guess I am. Yeah. <laughs> or was. or Yeah, I still am a right brainer. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm not too. technical, as you know. <laughs> uh, well, I'm actually more of a right brain too. So I don't know how you can do this work if you're a right brain well, us right-brainers have to stick together because there's a, there's a lot of left-brainers out there who look down on us, you know. You know the, but I guess we look down on them, too. We call them nerds, right? So. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about when you were a teenager. What, what did you do for fun when you were a teenager? What, what sorts of activities or troubles did you get into? Oh, I probably had a lot of trouble. <laughs> I had a boyfriend that I really liked, a neighbor, and we didn't have any transportation or cars or cell phones or anything like that. So anything we had to do, we walked or we went to go. We walked, I'd say a mile, who knows, to the trolley and go into town where we could go to the movies or something like that. Not into town Philadelphia, but into our little town. So we just walked everywhere because there was no other way of getting there except a bus or the trolley. No cars. We didn't have extra cars. Well, let's talk about your parents. And, you know, what, what would you want your, your future generations to know about your parents, what they were like? Well, it's hard, hard to tell because they're your own parents. You, you can't compare them to somebody else. They were always there. My mother was home. She didn't work. Most women didn't work unless they were teachers or something or nurses. And my father was a salesman, and he was sort of a happy-go-lucky person. I was close to him because he liked sports, and I like, you know, sort of started out that way. I was liking sports. So they were very genial, and they had their little group of friends, and we were all close, all their 
children and my parents' children. My bro- I only had a brother, so the two of us, we all got together, and we were like all big families. We got together for all the holidays and everything. Sounds good. Well, before we were recording, we were talking about your husband a little bit and how he was in the war. And I would really love to go into that a little bit more if you would like to. You said he he served active duty in, yes. in the war. Yes. The war was World War II. So, so <laughs> World War II. Yes. That was the war for us. So what, where was he in active duty there? He was in the South Pacific. South Pacific. And he, he started out in the Air Force, and then he was... Um, soloed and everything it was ready it was in the navy they didn't have an army air force they had and this was in the navy so they his best friend washed out so he decided he would go along with him so instead of the pilot he ended up being a gunner and they were in a low range bomber and their mission was to kill the all the uh, freights that was going along in the Shanghai and all the different. He was on all those islands that you meant that you will hear, Tinian and all kinds of. They were at every island, and they were sort of like in the beginning. They ended up in, um, I think, in Guam and around there. And he was bef- right after Iwo Jima. The Marines did all that, but the Navy had to have their part, you know, in it too. So, and he was there. He was also there in Midway. I believe that's where they had the peace conference. And we have black and white pictures, and our children will know about it. And in fact, they have them, I guess, where Hirohito, who was the emperor of Japan, laid down his guns. They came in in a, I think it was like a white airplane with green trim or something or other. They had MacArthur and everybody. They were there for that. So after that was signed and everything, his pilot, who had served uh, two missions over there in their squadron, he said, let's get the hell out of here. So they took their little flight, and they went, and they went to Hawaii and then got on home. But they didn't stay around after the peace was declared. So you said he was a, a gunner. Yes. So, I mean, just... To clarify, he's he's he was the like guy in the side. Like there's a bubble on each side of the airplane, and I think in the rear, in the tail, and then they had a navigator and a pilot, and I don't know how many were in the crew. Maybe about six or seven. I'm not really sure. But we did see his act, not his plane, but the actual plane like his at Pensacola. Air Force Base, and it was very moving. We took a picture. We have pictures of him by his, I think he was on the right-hand side. I'm not sure. And the kids were all there, so they were all all by the bubble. Uh And his worst thing that he did in the service was his gun was, they called him hot because he was shooting so much, and it it was so hot it couldn't stop. So it kept going around, and he hit the he hit the tail of his airplane. <laughs> but they made it home, and but that was a no no. <laughs> <laughs> so he was actually 
flying in a plane over enemy territory, shooting at things. Yes. And, and people he, shooting at him. I was just going to say, the enemy was beside him. He he saw one f flying right by him, and he was scared to hit him because he thought he'd hit him back. So he didn't shoot at him, but he saw, saw the Japanese. And it was very, very hard for him to accept anything Japanese. If you And after the war and everything was going on, you know, all the manufacturing, everything was made in China or made in Japan, really, that back then. And uh, our kids, I'll never forget this, for one special birthday, I don't remember what year it was, they gave him a new watch, and he, he had to give it back to him. He says, I'm sorry, I can't look at this watch because it's a Seiko, hmm. and I can't look at anything Japanese. Hmm. Wow. It was very, very hard for him to ever accept that. Well, he spent so many years. Well, he was probably eight, 19 months over hmm. in Pacific. And you were telling me about how during that time and after the war, the men didn't really talk much about it. Didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about it. All I know was in the Navy Air Corps. And I never knew about it, as I said earlier, until they had their reunions. And they started the reunions probably, I'm not real sure of the dates, but I would say in the 70s or maybe 80s. And that's when these guys got together and they were winning the war and all that, you know, they were chatting about it. But up until then, nobody ever talked about it. I mean, it was just an accepted thing. You were in the war. That was period. That's all you knew. Hmm. And uh, that's when I learned all these different stories, good, bad, and different. Mm -hmm. And then after the war, did he go into another career or... After the war, he, yeah, he, well, he finished, he went to college for, I believe, one year, and then he went and volunteered to go into the service. They, five of them from the college went into Washington, D.C., and they signed up to go into the Navy. And when you do that, then you have to go for pre-war information and all the fighting stories and history and everything. So... You work your way up, and they went to an airfield in Oklahoma. I think it was Edmond, Oklahoma, and an airfield. That's where they were starting some of their training, and the airfield hadn't even been built yet. <laughs> so, so they, you know, had to wing around, and they had to go somewhere else. But one time they were in Washington, the state of Washington, and they didn't have anything to do with them. They were in between airfields being built or something and it was i think cherry picking time in washington so they had all the navy guys doing that and he also got scarlet fever when he was in the service which is kind of a weird thing they put him in a hospital he doesn't know where he was or anything and he was there for a month and a half he thought maybe they even forgot about him <laughs> but that's that was the life and they mm -hmm. He was only 19, so he really, you know, didn't have any fear or anything. Had to grow up pretty fast. Yeah. I mean, 19 years old. Yeah, it's amazing. As a gunner. Well, you don't really realize what you're into until yeah. you look back on it, and mm -hmm. then it, I guess it's scary. Yeah. Better to uh, look back on it, though, than be <laughs> in it, I guess. 
Where where did you all live uh, while you were raising your kids? And did you move around a lot? A little bit. He was worked for 3M, Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company, and their home base was St. Paul, Minnesota. Don was in sales, so we started out in uh, Philadelphia, worked in that office. Then we he went to Wilmington, Delaware, and then we traveled on and went very, very briefly to Baltimore, Maryland, and then back to Philadelphia. All these moves, he got a little raised up in the job. He he started out, nobody knew what 3M was, and this is back in the 50s, I think it was like 51, somewhere around in there, and this is before we weren't married until 54, but... This was before then, and nobody knew what 3M was. You know, you'd say you work at 3M. First, he had a job at Coke, Coca-Cola, and that was really it. We have a letter that said that he was over overspending on his lunch. Now, this is from the president of Coca-Cola. Now, this was back in the, I guess, late 40s, early 50s. And he... he <laughs> He put down, he spent 49 cents for lunch, and he was only allowed to spend 40 cents. And he was nine cents over. And here's the president of Coca-Cola writing him a letter. Anyway, he found wow. out and realized he decorated the windows, the, the, the things that were on the windows, and they don't have it anymore. But like the painted, it was almost like a tattoo that you put on the glass. It was... He decided that was a chintzy company. So mm -hmm. he saw this ad for Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company. He thought, well, I could do that because I worked in the coal mines. From He lived in western Maryland. And he said, well, I could work in the coal mine. You know, I could do the mining. So he goes in for the interview, and they said, well, we don't do mining. <laughs> they originally started that way in northern Minnesota, but... Uh, oh, that was 3M. This is 3M. He was going in for an interview for the for a job, for the mining. So it ended up that they said, well, we don't do mining. We we wanted a sales position. So that's how he started out. So but when 3M, nobody knew what 3M was when he told them. And you had to say, you'd say scotch tape. People didn't really know that. So then you had to say sticky tape. Now 3M, the best known thing, I believe, are the post-it notes. Huh. Some people call them sticky notes, but we call them post-it notes. Anyway. So what are the what are the three M's? Mining? Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company. And they I never knew that. Well what happened was the man that started the company lived I think he lived up in northern Minnesota and they had what they called taconite mining, which doesn't mean much to anybody, except it's like the asbestos and the granulars that are in shingles, you know, those little things. That's how they started out, 3M. That is amazing. And it is such a diversified, well, it was always wonderful to us, company that they have, I will, the last, I, this is years ago, they had over 500 different products. They're in dental. They're in. They're just in everything. Isn't it amazing a company can start oh, in mining a wonderful and company. go to sticky notes? Yeah. <laughs> sticky notes and scotch tape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
you can just see some of those meetings when the the guy that started the company. Ooh. I want to call it Mining Minnesota and Manufacturing. And <laughs> that's just way too much. <laughs> yeah. How about 3M? Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's anyway, that's interesting. It's been a good company. My husband worked close to 40 years, and uh, we have a son who worked and had retired maybe about five years ago. And let's see, he retired in his late 50s from 3M, and he worked there 38 years. And our daughter just retired last summer from 3M. From 3M. So we're a big 3M family. Family, yeah. We had to move from one house because we were stuck together with all kinds of tape. <laughs> we couldn't do anything more, so we moved to another house. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, so think of this as for your grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-great-grandkids will listen to this, <laughs> okay? And Heaven help them. And, and they're going to learn about you and your husband and your family. How would you like to be remembered by future generations? Just as a caring, kindly person, that's all. Oh, you have to have a smile on your face. That's right. Like Betty said, no grouches. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any real thing. I just, you know, like to do a lot of handwork and everything, so. They have a lot of my stuff. Well, having a, a friendly smile is, that's no small thing in today's world, especially. So I think that's quite quite enough. Well, Lois, anything else you want to No, I say? just think that this family channel is wonderful. And uh, that's as far as I go with the modern conveniences. <laughs> <laughs> and when you started to say about the putting messages on, I end with that. My daughter struggles with, they gave me an iPad, and I struggle with that a little bit, but not very much. Mm. I even get got rid of my cell phone. Yeah. Now, I'm really an antique. I got rid of my cell phone when I moved here. I think, what do I knew that for? Yeah. Well, that that's why we created it, so that, yeah. you know, it could be easy and instead of And it makes me difficult. sick with all these things, these gadgets and these cell phones. I mean, people can't live without it. And, yeah. you know, I'm living without it, but. I can't live much longer because all these things that they get you to fill out and all this all has to be done by a computer. Mm -hmm. And guess what? If I didn't have a wonderful daughter, I wouldn't be living here. I don't know what I'd do. It is getting crazy, isn't it? It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you want to get rid of me soon. <laughs> no, no. We'll just keep sending you uh messages to Antique. your television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you uh, and have a great day. Thank you and I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Grand Tapestry podcast, brought to you by My Family Channel. Please visit us at myfamilychannel.com and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite listening directory.